Hello, Green Team members. We are back on the podcast with a special. Today, we are going to be interviewing a guest speaker. Tune in for more. Could you please start off with uh, a little bit about your job and what exactly you do? Yeah, so um, my background is in geology. So I'm a trained geologist, um, kind of did some schooling in that realm. And I'll just mention that kind of geology is a combination of sciences. So you have to have an understanding of math, chemistry, some physics, um, and uh, writing and stuff like that. So that's my kind of uh, academic background. Um, I worked in oil and gas, so drilling oil and gas wells for a number of years, about five years. And then I transitioned to a a job where I do environmental remediation work um, for a company. Um, So specifically, the company that I work for Our clients are the companies who are tasked with remediating different sites that have some sort of contaminants at them. And so what I actually do is um, do research and reporting and um, sometimes field work to uh, determine what type of constituents are in the ground, where those constituents are located, what are the levels? So what are the concentrations? And um, then document all this information in reports that go to um, agencies, whether they're for the state, which we have, you know, separate states, or if it's the federal agency, um, it depends on who's overseeing the project. Um, And then sometimes, you know, I'll do remediation work. So that's essentially we'll have a plan as to how we're going to address a site. And um, we will either ourselves implement that plan or we'll have subcontractors. So companies that we work with to actually um, implement that plan, whether it be to um, install wells or um, dig up material and remove it and put clean material in place um, or a number of other uh, remedies that, that may be uh, applicable to a specific site. Um, so essentially what I do is research, um, writing, implementation of plans and um, yeah, those are the big, the big ticket things that I really do. And how does your job help protect the environment? So, um, you know, the big way is really documentation of what constituents are in different places. Um, you know, without knowing, you know, what um, contaminants are at any given location, um, it's, it's, it's impossible to really figure out how to remedy a situation. And so, you know, a big portion of, of what we do is collecting those samples, um, sending them to a lab, and all the labs are accredited in some way, and then getting that information, 
condensing it down so that we can um, put it into a, a report and submitting that to the agency with a, a kind of plan forward as to how um, we're going to remedy um, a situation if there is a problem or if there isn't a problem. Um, it, it depends on, on the level of constituents that are there. Um, the big thing is kind of the documentation side, as well as the you know, figuring out what's the safest plan of action. Because sometimes <clears throat> you might think that there's a, a you know, dig it up and, and take it somewhere else because it's, it's bad, but sometimes it actually can make it worse. Um, or there could be some forms of, of remediation that actually make a situation worse. So um, making sure that you, you know, move forward um, cautiously is important when you're dealing with any type of contaminant. So Mr. Rack, uh, could you tell us please about some environmental policies that exist in the US right now? Yeah, so um, there's actually a lot of overlapping and different um, environmental policies. Um, many of them come essentially from the, the legislature. So from, you know, the, the governing body that's in control um, at the federal level will enact different um, laws or regulations. And so we have a couple of the big hitters or the most important ones are the uh, Clean Water Act or the Clean Air Act. Those specifically deal with, you know, either water or air. And it essentially enables the um, Environmental Protection Agency, which is a national agency, the power to actually implement um, standards to clean, to, to make sure that the air at different locations is clean or the water at different locations is clean. So it might be that there's kind of just background um, places, like everywhere should have a amount of clean air or a certain standard of clean air or clean water. Or it might be that there's, you know, at a specific, at specific sites, so many industrial sites, if there is water that leaves the site, surface water that leaves the site, um, you have to get a permit, which just says, okay, you have to test, say, once a month, what is in that water, and based on what you do at this site, um, we should test for, you know, say, these 10 constituents. Um, and so... You know, the Clean Water Act kind of deals with a lot of the, the water type things. The Clean Air Act, um, you know, is similar to that. You know, there's background standards that, you know, every person in America should have, you know, clean air. Um, but also, you know, if there's smokestacks um, at a facility, um, whether it's a, you know, a power generation facility or say a clay manufacturing or a pottery manufacturing facility, those smokestacks that, that exit the, the facility, you know, there's some level of monitoring that will go on to make sure that the um, effluent, any of that kind of, um, anything that's leaving the site is not at a level that is above whatever the standards are. And so some of the standards say in the Clean Water Act or the Clean Air Act that enables the EPA to say, okay, 
we need to identify what are the most important chemicals that are kind of dangerous chemicals and then figure out, you know, what level is, is a threshold. So above that level, it's actually detrimental to say humans and below that level, it's, it's semi-safe. So, um, you know, Clean Water and Clean Air Act essentially say, we, you know, everyone needs to have access to clean water and clean air. And then that gets pushed down to our federal agency and sometimes our state agencies actually, we have state agencies that actually will implement these things too. Um, so Clean Water and Clean Air Act are two big ones, but we also have um, the, uh, so we have an act that deals specifically with hazardous chemicals so that whenever there's manufacturing, so whenever people make hazardous chemicals, those chemicals are gonna be tracked. So, you know, say I made a drum of, uh, you know, bad stuff, whatever it is. It's, it's very useful in manufacturing, but if released to the environment, it can kill creatures or cause cancer. So we have what's called a chain of custody, which is paperwork that tracks where that stuff was made, who handled it on the road or when it was in transport, and who received it how it was used, and then if any of it was disposed of, how was it disposed of in a safe manner? So, you know, there's probably about 10 or 20 different pieces of legislation which dictate, um, you know, some of these things. Um, another thing that, that, um, that is enacted is there's, um, you know, different pools of money that have been created from permits or from um, application fees. And so say you have 10 companies who are all oil and gas companies. Those companies have to say get a permit to drill a well and say a certain amount of that money goes into a pool. And so that pool of money then will be used in case there's any kind of environmental problem. So. The first way, you know, if there's a company who's still, you know, a viable company that makes money and there's any kind of, um, you know, release or anything like that, the agency in charge will say, okay, you need to clean this up. If say that company has gone out of business and doesn't, you know, there's no person or business that has the money to deal with it, then you can draw on that pool of money, which you collected for the aid for the permit fees, and that pool of money will help to finance cleaning up, you know, any of these disasters. So it's important to understand that there's kind of, you know, there's a financial cost whenever we have to clean up any site. And, you know, initially you try and get the companies responsible, but a lot of times companies will, you know, go out of business because, you know, whatever it is that they made or do doesn't work anymore. And so they've gone out of business. And so having pools of money set up and collected via taxes or permit fees is important to set that money aside for, you know, any kind of um, environmental issue that might happen. So um, you know, there's a lot of overlapping policies um, in the U.S. that, that um, address different um, constituents or you know, air, water, or soil. Do you feel that these policies are sufficient for protecting the environment or are they lacking in some area? 
Um, so there are some deficiencies. Um, a lot of the problems kind of stem from just the lack of science that is out there. So as you know, any kind of chemical company comes up with a new formulation of a chemical, there's probably no policy that directly affects that chemical, right? You know, some new version of, you know, if you think of it as a, as a you know, soda or a pop, like the newest, you know, green um, pop that's out there that came out this year, right? You have no documentation saying, oh, that, that one isn't good or it's good, or, you know, so any new formulation is not going to be regulated per se. So the science is always going to have to catch up to what the newest formulations are out there. So in that sense, um, we're always going to be a little bit behind the chemical companies um, whenever they come out with a new chemical. Um, so in that respect, yes, we're a little bit behind. Um, but there's, you know, in the U.S., there's a lot of overlapping policies and it can be very confusing. I mean, I work in this field right now and it can be hard to keep track of all the different policies and um, which policies certain sites fall under, which policies certain um, chemicals fall under. Um, so actually, if, if streamlining to make it simpler might be a better way as long as we maintain the level of protection that we have. Because one problem that I see is actually um, there's a lot of administrative issues. So um, people like like me have to you know go through all these you know policies and regulations and figure out does it apply, does it not apply? And that time and money um, gets spent on the research side. And if there was a more streamlined way of doing it, then we could actually have more time and money to actually apply to remediations to actually protect the environment more. So there's some way, some elements that are lacking and some, some things that aren't. Um, two things that are kind of on the cusp and moving forward in America right now are, um, there's regulations that are coming down for PFAS which are essentially nonstick coatings or coatings that they use in Gore-Tex boots. Um, and so facilities that produce these um, historically have released them to groundwater or surface. And those are they're literally called forever chemicals because they don't break down very well and they bioaccumulate. So, you know, as you move up the food chain, um, they don't, go away, they actually accumulate. So it can be very bad. The other thing is methane. Um, so methane is, you know, essentially usually from natural gas, um, but releases of methane into the air. Um, methane is actually a um, much stronger or worse um, um, greenhouse gas than CO2. And so if you compared methane and CO2, um, methane impacts global warming much more so than CO2. And we're talking a lot about you know, CO2 kind of levels in the atmosphere, but you know, methane is, is much more detrimental. And so we need to make sure that we're tracking 
methane releases and making sure that doesn't go to the atmosphere too. So, you know, we're at least in America, there are some fronts where, where, uh, you know, the regulation is, is catching up to the science. Um, with all these regulations, have you ever run into any challenges trying to balance economic progress and the environmental protection? Yes. So there's always going to be a balancing act um, between the economics and environmental protection um, regulation. And, you know, it's important to maintain protection but you can't do it at the cost of your economy. Because if you don't have a viable economy, then there's not going to be any finances to be able to clean up the environment. Um, so it's always a balancing act between the two. Um, in America, at least where you see the, the greatest amount of um, environmental kind of action, is in locations where the land itself is, is worth a lot of money. So in locations close to large cities, you know, you may have an industrial site or an old industrial site, which is contaminated to some extent. But if that site was able to be, you know, repurposed into a, another, you know, building or facility, it would be very good because of its location. And so, you know, typically we see that there's more action in those locations because the sites themselves are, you know, worth more money. So it's, it makes sense to put a certain amount of money into that. Um, additionally, as I mentioned, you know, if there's not a viable company to um, pay for remediation, then the remediation is really hard to actually, you know, execute. Um, so potentially you can execute that from tax tax dollars, um, but you know, in the U.S., a lot of the the remediation occurs from um, businesses or previous businesses, and so if if those businesses are no longer viable, it's hard to actually, um, you know, really implement a solution. And the other kind of larger scale um, answer is that, you know, if, if a certain country is very, you know, has a lot of environmental protections, that's good. But in this day and age, it's very easy for international companies to move production to an adjacent um, or even far away country. Right. So we can go to a different country where there isn't the regulations and maybe similar um, costs for for uh, for manpower. And so companies will just outsource that to somewhere else where the regulations are there. And so I think what really needs to be addressed is, you know, regional or potentially even, you know, larger than regional. So some kind of worldwide kind of accordances for certain environmental standards, because then companies aren't able to just move production to a different location that doesn't have that regulation. Um, what do you think will happen if environmental policies wouldn't exist? Um, so, 
let's just say it, it wouldn't be good in general. I mean, generally what would happen is um, you would have companies because, you know, if, if there's not regulation, companies are able to cut corners, you know, dispose of things by just letting them flow downhill or out back. Um, and so contaminants would be released to the environment much more. Um, you would have, you know, increased um, health issues in humans and increased health problems in the environment, whether it be, you know, plants or animals or macroinvertebrates, so small creatures. Um, and so in close proximity to production facilities or industrial facilities, you would have more environmental degradation. Um, and you would have higher rates of you know, cancer and other sicknesses, um, lower um, life expectancies. Um, so you know, overall, you'd have you know, detrimental effects to the general public. Um, you're always going to be able, you know, people who have the means, so the, the money to a, be able to move farther away are going to be able to escape. So this is going to disproportionately affect, you know, people who are poorer. So uh, people who can't move or, you know, they have to work in that facility and say they don't get any kind of mask or respirator. Um, and these things are, you know, they're in contact with them. They don't have, you know, protection. Um, you know, the reality is, is these people will get sick. And if it's, you know, a public, say, funded healthcare system, everyone is going to have to bear the burden of, you know, these sicknesses and increased cost. Um, in, it's one detriment to America is that we don't have a unified health system. And so, you know, people who are poor may not even have health coverage. And so it's, it's bad because, you know, those people maybe don't even have coverage to go to the doctors. Um, so the reality is, is you'd have more um, environmental degradation and um, sickness and um, health issues. So environmental regulations aren't really important here. And, you know, here's Central America's largest natural reserve. And for some time now, it has been exposed a lot to deforestation. And, you know, the government hasn't really taken action on it. And also in 2018, the reserve was, the reserve in the maze, you know, was, uh, you know, a, a huge fire occurred there. And the leaders of local communities contacted the government like to receive aid and you know they didn't answer until days later so like we're in a serious need of stronger environmental regulation in this country what do you think is the first step we should take here so i guess what i'd ask is um are there actual environmental policies that are in place that just don't get applied like that that are that are supposed to be applied yeah, that kind of is how it works. Yeah, so, I mean, what I would say is that um, I would start there. So, 
if there are policies that are in place that are not applied, um, you want to kind of focus on those areas and um, document or have a way to document, you know, the exact kind of um, issues. Um, big things, you know, photo documentation, um, laboratory documentation, um, those type of things are helpful. And what's really important is to build kind of a coalition of people who care. And it's, you know, can't be just, you know, people of your own age, people that are in your kind of direct friend network or um, economic network. Um, you have to kind of find a wide variety of people who can all see the effects of, you know, the problems that are occurring. Um, and, and I think in Central America, what would be important is to also find different influential people, whether they're businessmen or um, politicians, um, to, to kind of join and understand um, the problems that are occurring. And, you know, a big thing is kind of bringing awareness to what's going on, you know, being, uh, you know, kind of a documentary, documenting what's going on and um, bringing people together to help move that change together. Because if it's, you know, uh, small kind of disparate groups of people that are asking for things, it's, it's most likely not going to happen. So, you know, really documenting and organizing um, a, a wide uh, group of people would be the best way to kind of move, I think, those issues forward. Focusing on, on the regulations that are already in place. And then if there are, you know, other problem points, you know, if there are industries that are obviously, you know, releasing sludge to the, the river or, or something like that, uh, you know, finding out what kind of industries they are, maybe what kind of um, chemicals they might use, um, and then referencing back um, to scientific um, documentation of, of the detrimental effects of some of those chemicals. Um, I think it's important, you know, in the US we have a large infrastructure of, of kind of laboratories who are certified. Um, whereas in Central America, I think what you'd have to leverage is more the academic institutions. So college labs and that type of stuff to, to you know, work together to document different um, levels of constituents in different places. Um, but I'd say the key would be documentation and, and collaboration. Um, so as you heard, we kind of have nothing here. So I was wondering if you could tell us why your job is important, maybe to motivate our audience to become future project geologists. Well, I mean, so I really enjoy uh, the science that I work in. So, I mean, I am someone who appreciates understanding how the earth works. And so the processes that occur, whether it be, you know, 
the raising of mountains and how they're eroded and how sediment is redistributed um, on a massive scale down to how a molecule of water moves through an aquifer. So, you know, down to the minuscule scale and kind of everything in between. So, you know, in my profession, you know, I find it very interesting, the science itself, but also you know, the impacts you can have on people and communities um, as far as, you know, when you research a site that has been contaminated for 30 years or more, and, you know, people would like to, you know, be able to build houses there, but they just don't know how risky it is or if they can drink the water. Um, and so really being able to, you know, do the research, um, run the analytical tests, um, come up with the model as to how those contaminants would flow, maybe put in an implementation to capture certain you know, chemicals and then document everything so that, you know, a community can build a, a soccer field on an old site or can, you know, allow a business to come in and give jobs to a whole slew of people and, you know, create, um, you know, a community that has, you know, a viable economy. You know, I think those are like the main reasons I appreciate my field of work is, you know, the science itself interests me, but also the implementation of solutions is really powerful for moving communities and people forward. Um, so what do you enjoy most about your job? <laughs> well, so I guess I led into that with my last answer. Yes. But, um, yeah, so I mean, it's, it's really, you know, making the difference uh, in, in, in communities and, and implementing solutions for sites that maybe have sat for, you know, 30 years. One of the, the big sites that I've been working on, you know, had been releasing contaminants 50 years ago, up until 30 years ago, and then has been in a, you know, decommissioned for more than 30 years. But because of, you know, all the regulation and everything, it's kind of sat dormant for almost 30 years. And now we're finally getting to a state where we're going to be, you know, implementing a solution. And so, you know, seeing that my influence can help to bring about change at that site is uh, really, uh, you know, it, it drives me to actually move forward and get up each day and, and slog through hundred page reports, multi hundred page reports to, to uh, um, make change happen and, and help protect people and, and the environment. Is that all? Yes. Thank you.